I'll tell you what, I sure was glad that 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 wife who said my husband is a goober on the screen up here, I'm sure glad she signed her name. There have probably been two or three dozen of us guys thought our wife had done that, and maybe there's conflict among us, I don't know. But uh, isn't, isn't Sunday morning a great time when you have children especially? Getting them up, dragging them out of bed, getting everybody ready, and getting that diaper change that you didn't know you needed until it's time to get in the car. And uh, all of those, I remember that. We have four kids, and man, those were challenging times. I've about decided that God really did mean for us to worship on Saturday just to cut out all that conflict and, and that meanness of just trying to get everybody here on time. I think that would be helpful. I don't know about you guys, but I was very impressed with this man on the street video. I was very surprised at the quality of answers that, that we got there. Uh, as you listen to, to each one of them talk about it, what should we do in dealing with conflict, I was sitting there thinking, you know, they have covered every point of my sermon. And so we're going to do a benediction and get to lunch early today. Nope, sorry. <laughs> when, we talk about, when we talk about conflict, uh, all of us know conflict happens. It just happens. Conflict is inevitable. And, and we can learn everything there is to know from the scriptures about how to deal with conflict. And we can deal with conflict in the best way we possibly can. And it won't, it won't mean that we'll never have conflict. It'll just mean that we will deal with it better. And we'll probably have less conflict, but we'll still have conflict. Think about it. We're talking about families right now, but, but all of these principles I'm talking about applies to everyone. Whether you're single, you're in a family or you're looking at your immediate family, your extended family, think about it. In a family, you have two people who are so different coming together. First of all, a man and a woman. That, that in itself says a lot. The way men and women are wired differently, see life differently, articulate differently. Uh, it's just a great opportunity for conflict. And then you consider personalities. You have the, the uh, extrovert and the introvert trying to figure out how to live together. And you have history. Every one of us came from a different history when we come together. And the way we think of life, the way we respond to things around us is determined so much by the history that we have lived up to that time. And now we're together trying to figure out how to do that. And then you, you throw in the, the saver and the spender, the planner and the, hey, whatever. You throw in the, the messy and the needy. You, you throw in all those things and conflict will happen. Amazing thing is that, that most conflict we have is not about something that's right or wrong. It's about something that's just different. The right or wrong comes in in how we deal with that conflict. We also have conflict because we're clueless. <laughs> how many of you husbands have ever heard that? <laughs> no. <laughs> we, we're clueless. We can't read each other's minds. We want, we want each other to read our minds, but we can't read each other's minds. And so we often act based on what we assume, and what we assumed wasn't right. And it creates conflict. And then you throw in the fact that sin still crops up in our lives. 
Sometimes we, we just get selfish, inconsiderate, impatient. And you put all that together, conflict happens. And it always will. The question is, how are we going to deal with it when it happens? Most of us deal with it in just our natural way, or at least that's, that's the way we will tend to go our natural way. And the natural way we deal with conflict is usually a way that we learned somewhere in our families in our younger years. We saw how conflict was dealt with, and now as adults, we often deal with conflict at least in some variation of that. I know in my life, I remember... It's amazing because I don't have a lot of memories in that point. But I remember when I was five years old, I have an older brother and sister. And at that point in their lives, my brother was in elementary, my sister was in middle school. At that point in their lives, I don't know what the deal was, but they fought a lot. They were always just getting mad at each other. And and they would scream and yell at each other. And, And I remember an incident. I can still see it clearly. I see the house we lived in and where I was standing. My brother and sister were at it again. They were screaming and yelling at each other. And my brother picked up something, and I can't remember what it was, but it was something that was hard. And he threw it at my sister. And it fortunately it hit, but it hit the wall, and, and Dad came in, and it wasn't pretty. But, but I remember that because at that point, I was five years old, I remember in my mind saying, I am not going to have conflict like that. I'm going to do everything I have to do not to have conflict. And I started a pattern that I still have to work against when I deal with conflict, and that is to avoid conflict. I'm a peacemaker. Just keep everybody happy, and I won't have to deal with conflict. I'm a peace faker. Everything looks good, but underneath there's conflict. And today, if I, if I get into trouble dealing with conflict, it'll be because I start defaulting back to that old way of dealing with conflict that started in my family when I was five years old. I remember that. So all of us have some, some of that stuff that happened when we were younger that affects how we deal with conflict. But then there's the Christ-like way of dealing with conflict. It's the effective way. It's the right way. And, and that's what we want to talk about today. Now, when you talk about dealing with conflict, often you're not just dealing with the conflict of the moment. You're often dealing with what's happening right now and those piles of unresolved conflict that are still sitting there. And so that what's happening right now becomes much more heated than it might be because it's being fed by the things that haven't been taken care of in the past. In, in my work here, in the last 11 years, I have seen about 70 to 100 couples every year during that time, most of them in some kind of conflict. And something I, I have found, there are very few of those situations where the problem they're having is because one of them just did something that was big and destructive to the relationship. That happens, but most of the time, the overwhelming majority of the time, When they come in to see me, they have a huge pile of unresolved conflicts that are building a wall between them. And and that wall has begun to seem overwhelming. 
they have started to become hopeless. We can never get through all this junk in our relationship. And there's anger and resentment that's stirred up because this wall has been building up. But if you, if you look at any one of those conflicts that are in this big pile, it could be dealt with. With just a little bit of love, a little bit of work, it could have been resolved. But because it wasn't resolved, it's still sitting there, and now there's a big problem that's hard to work through. So you, sometimes you have to think below the moment to really understand what's going on. Another thing is that, that some conflict is really complicated. And when we get into those situations, we need help. It's not something we can just kind of work through and pray through and figure out. We need help. Sometimes if you have an extended family conflict and, and there are a number of people involved and this thing's been going on and sometimes it's been going on for generations. Or if you have a conflict that's just been going on a long time and it's taken deep root, the anger and resentment is there, sometimes you need somebody to help you, somebody to come alongside. And In our Peacemaker ministry, we have coaches that will come alongside you one-on-one to, to help you figure out steps you might want to take or, or even mediators that will sit down with, with the, the persons and, and help them begin to figure out how to, how to heal this brokenness because of conflict. But today, we only, have, we only have 30 minutes, so we're not going to be able to talk on that level. What we're going to talk about today is how to resolve everyday conflict. How to resolve those things that pop up in our lives. Some of them, obviously from the screen, popped up this morning before you got to church. But the things that happen day after day, how can we deal with them so that they don't begin to pile up? How can we begin to let that pile dissipate so we can truly live together in love and in peace. Now when you talk about this, there are really two things we want to look at. First, there's the foundation that we need, the foundation heart work that we need to do in order to be able to deal with conflict. And secondly, is the road map. The roadmap, as we said earlier, in the middle of the moment, we can't always think clearly about what we need to do. And so we're going to have a very simple roadmap to talk about that will help things we can bring to mind in the moment, in the emotion. We can stop and think about these things, and they will help us walk through our conflicts in a, in a Christ-like way that is God-honoring and that really works. So let's look at that. Uh, turn in your Bibles to Colossians the third chapter, the 12th through the 15th verses. If you're looking at the Pew Bible, it's page 1167. While you're, while you're turning to that, Jesus said in, in John 13, 34, As I have loved you, love one another. As I have loved you, love one another. We've just been reminded as we've come forward for Holy Communion and in the songs that we have sung this morning, how God has loved us. He has loved us so much. He has given us so much grace and mercy. He reached across the chasm between us, the brokenness in our relationship. He reached across that before we reached. And he went to the full extent that we might be reconciled together. That's a Christ-like kind of love. 
And this scripture in Colossians 3, I think, gives, kind of breaks it down and gives us a picture that we can look at and begin to then look at our lives and see, how is that in my life? How is that working in my relationship and my family? Let's look at this, Colossians 3, beginning with verse 12. Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Bear with each other and forgive whatever grievances you may have against one another. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. And over all these virtues, put on love, which binds them all together in perfect unity. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, since as members of one body, you were called to peace. This is a beautiful picture of the love and of that heart foundation that we want to allow God to develop in us so that we can be prepared when those conflicts come, that our heart, our spirit is right and ready to respond in a Christ-like way. Let's look at this. Compassion. How are we doing in truly expressing compassion to one another in our relationships? Compassion means that, that I really care about what you care about. I really care about what you are feeling right now. I really am concerned about the things that concern you. I have compassion for you and for what's going on in your life. And then it says kindness. What are my words and even my body language saying to my, to my wife, to my children, to my family? Are they hearing me talk to them, especially when I'm not particularly happy, in a way that, that has a real harsh edge to it? Is my body language leaning in and a little bit intimidating? Or am I responding in ways that are kind words coming out of kind thoughts? How are we living together in this thing of kindness? And then humility. Humility is an absolute must to resolve conflict because it's with humility, it's with humility that we're able to say, I'm wrong. I did it. I said what I shouldn't have said. I didn't keep my word. I am guilty. I was a jerk. It's only as we have humility, that we are able to put our guard down and just be honest about the things we need to be honest about. And then there's gentleness, which is a lot like kindness, and patience. See, one of the challenges is we are imperfect people living together. And so we need to give grace to one another even as we need that grace. Give it as you need it. We are not perfect, and so we need to be patient with one another. Bear with one another. Again, kind of part of patience. And then forgive as God has forgiven us. Person whose heart is willing to forgive. When we've dealt with a situation, willing to forgive and let it go so that we can move forward with a clean slate. 
These are basic heart qualities that we need to allow the Spirit to cultivate in us to help us be prepared to deal with conflict in the right kind of way. And then it says, let the peace of Christ rule in your heart because we're all a part of one body. It says we're all family. We're all together, so, so let peaceful relationship rule. In this case, I used to read that to say that peace was talking about the peace that peace of, of heart. When you're in a difficult time, you just feel the peace of God in your side. But in this case, it's really talking about peace in relationships. And it's saying, let the peace, this, that, which, that which promotes peace, that which leads to peace, let that be the decider in your relationship with others. The word rule, is, it comes from the Greek word that, that's for the referee or the umpire in a game who decides. Decides, that's a foul. That's the penalty. They're the decider. In this case, it says, as you are living together, the thoughts that you have, the words that you speak, the actions and reactions, let the, let the behind that be that commitment that I will let this idea that what I say and what I do will be that which can lead to peace, can lead to resolving the conflicts, can re- lead to being reconciled. Let that rule in my heart. And so I would challenge you, and, and particularly those of you husbands and wives, I would challenge you to take this passage and, and take it home with you and talk to each other about it. This can be scary, it can be humble, and you have to really put the defenses down to do it. But to ask each other, how am I doing? Do you feel that I have a heart of compassion toward you? Are my words and, and, and responses to you kind? Do you sense that I'm patient with you when you mess up or you don't do what I wish you would do? Have that conversation And see what you learn and what you as a couple can commit to to allow God to begin to transform areas where where you need that. That's the foundation we need to be cultivating in order to deal with conflict in a good way. Then we're able to follow this roadmap. And it has, it has real meaning and depth to it because our heart is where it should be. And here's the deal. When we get into conflict, we immediately get very focused. If I am the one who has started it, I did something I shouldn't do, and now Karen is coming to me and saying, Mike, we need to talk. I get very focused I put up my focus wall of defensiveness. Anything focused on preserving my honor, deflecting the blame, making excuses, whatever I have to do, I can get very focused on getting defensive. Well, it wasn't as bad as you think it is. Well, you misunderstood me. Well, you're just overreacting. And I get very focused on that. That's one of our natural responses. On the other hand, when someone has offended me, I get focused in another way. I get focused on that person, you know, and Karen or one of the kids or someone else. 
what they did or didn't do or should have done or shouldn't have done and what they need to do to make this right so I'll feel good again. And I get totally focused in on those things. But here's the key. Remember this. If you remember nothing else, remember this. When you bump into that daily conflict, stop, take a deep breath, literally, step back and refocus refocus get that word down refocus first on God bring God into the situation God help me to respond in the way that would honor you God help me to respond in a way that would reflect Christ-like spirit God give me strength to do the right thing and when we do that When we do that, then we're opening ourselves where the Holy Spirit can calm us down and help us begin to think clearly and see clearly so that we can respond in the way that will lead us toward reconciliation and not in a way that just adds gasoline to the fire. And so refocus on God. 1 Corinthians 10.31 says, And whatever you do, Do it to the glory of God, even conflict. God, how can I respond in a way that would honor you? Then we refocus on ourselves. We begin to look at ourselves and ask the question, what have I contributed to this conflict? What is my part? And to do that, we have to humble ourselves before God and just put our arms down at our side and say, I did it. I'm guilty. I shouldn't have done that. It was wrong. First, we confess to God and, and, and just get honest about it. If you are the offender, sometimes that's easier. You know what you did. You know what you said or what you didn't do that you said you would do. You know what it is usually if you just get honest. But, but it also applies when we are the one who, have, who has been offended. Because often when we are offended, we don't respond in a Christ-like way. Okay, you come at me, I'll come at you. You know, you do that to me, I'll do it to you. You do that to me, I'll just back off and be cool. I'll make life uncomfortable for you. See how, how you like that. Just try to sit there in your recliner and watch TV. It's going to be uncomfortable around here. He said, we do all kinds of things. And, and so, so we have to, even if we are the one who's been offended, we have to take responsibility for what we have done that has added to the conflict. And so we both have a place there. Whether your part is 95% and you take 100% responsibility for your 95% or whether your part is 5% and you take 100% responsibility for your 5%, we have to focus on ourselves, get honest, and then we begin to prepare ourselves to go to the other person. And it begins by, what am I going to say when I go? How am I going to go and talk to to my wife, my husband, my child, that person? First, avoid if, but, and maybe. Those are all excuses. If I hurt you, I'm sorry. If, ah, that's, that's weak. Maybe I shouldn't have done that. <laughs> Maybe I should have, and you're just oversensitive, right? That's what it says. That's an excuse. 
Maybe it's you, not me. I'm sorry I yelled at you, but you make me so angry. That's a great confession, isn't it? I'm, I'm a very nice guy, and if you hadn't have done what you did, I would never act that way. That's, it is almost impossible in our natural selves to say I'm sorry and to apologize and to ask forgiveness without using an if, but, maybe, perhaps. And all of that, we have to get rid of that and be willing to go with our arms down and say, here I am, I did it. I did it. The second thing is to, to admit specifically. It's one thing to say, I'm sorry I hurt you. That's really kind of weak. But when I say, I'm sorry because I yelled at you, I spoke to you with some really harsh words that were hurtful and were impatient, and that was wrong. Now, is that not a much more powerful confession? We need to admit specifically, first of all, it helps the other person know we get it. We really know what we did. And secondly, it helps us know what we need to work on. And so we avoid if, but, maybe. We admit specifically. And then we commit ourselves before we go. We commit ourselves to really change, to alter our behavior. Once in a while, I'll have a couple come in to talk to me and they sit down and, and I ask them, what's the story? What's going on? Why are we here? And uh, often the wife will begin to talk a little more articulate and, and she'll begin to tell the story. And, and as she begins to tell the story, the focus begins to just get real sharp on the husband sitting there in the chair and what he's doing. <laughs> and he begins to squirm and he's uncomfortable. And, and, and sometimes, occasionally it happens, the husband will look at the wife and say, I told you I'm sorry. Why can't we just move on? Why do you keep bringing this up? And when, when he says that, I know he's in trouble. Because when he says that, most of the time the wife will say, Yes, you have told me you're sorry a hundred times. And nothing has changed. We need to make commitments to do whatever we can do, and with God's help, God's strength, whatever we need to do, make a commitment that I'm going to change. I'm going to stop this behavior that's causing this offense. So we prepare to go. Avoid if, but, and maybe. Admit specifically, and go with a commitment to alter our behavior. Then we go have the conversation, and we go humbly. We don't go to vent we don't go to prove that we were right and the other person was wrong. We don't go to cast blame. But we go with a humble heart desiring to truly take our relationship toward resolving the conflict. We go speaking respectfully. And we go speaking clearly. Now, Dealing with conflict in a Christ-like spirit doesn't mean we just overlook everything and we just love you and everything's wonderful. It's not what it means. We go and we talk clearly about what needs to be talked about. We put it on the table and we deal with the issue that needs to be confronted and worked on. We go with that kind of spirit. As we go, and, and this is another thing, if you are the one going to begin the conversation, whether you are the offender or whether you are the one being offended, 
one of the most powerful things you can do is to go beginning with a confession. To go to the other person and say, you know, we need to talk about this. We need to talk about the situation. And I want to start the conversation by saying to you that, you know, when you, when you did that, that hurt me, I did not respond in the right way toward you. And I just want to confess to you that, that, that I said some things back to you that were sharp and were not what would help us deal with this. And I pulled away from you, and in my mind, I had some really ugly thoughts toward you, and, and I got so upset, I shared them with my sister. That's trouble. <laughs> but we need to go with that confession, willing to confess our part. And I find that when I begin the conversation in that way, whether I'm the offender or I've been offended, it just brings the temperature down. And most of the time, the other person is then more willing to get honest about their part where we can really talk through and deal with that. So we prepare ourselves. We focus on God. We focus on ourselves. Then we go to the other person. In Matthew 18, 15, Jesus said, If your brother sins against you, go to him. Go. Matthew 5, 23 says, If you know your brother has something against you, go to him. One of, the, one of the greatest challenges for people like me who are peace fakers and avoid, love to avoid is that we just won't go. We'll just stuff it and, and not deal with it. But we are then to focus on the other person and to go and to have the conversation in that grace-filled, clear, grace-filled way in order to move us toward peace. Now, if, if you begin to do this, and you begin to practice this, particularly as husbands and wives, as parents and children, if you begin to practice this, it'll make a difference. Karen and I have been married for 33 years, and for the first 25 years of that, we had a good marriage. It wasn't a bad marriage, but we didn't deal with conflict that well. We dealt with it like we learned it. And so it wasn't unusual for us to have some unresolved conflicts kind of piled up around in our relationship. And when we would have a conflict, sometimes it would take a long time to get it resolved. And, you know, it would be kind of quiet and tense and all of that stuff for, for a long time. We, we wouldn't get it taken care of. And about eight years ago, both of us began to get into the stuff that I'm talking about today and really begin to get a hold of it and, and begin to commit ourselves to God and to each other to, to begin to do this and to begin to live our relationship in this way. And I can tell you, we, our, our relationship in that area has been revolutionized. Now, we're not perfect. We're still dealing with it. I can still go to my old default but we're committed, and it's made an unbelievable difference. We don't have stuff laying around anymore, unresolved conflicts. And when we do have our conflicts, we're getting them resolved a lot quicker. I can tell you this works, and I encourage you, I encourage you to make a commitment personally and as families to begin to resolve conflict in this way. Romans 12.18 says, If it is possible... As far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone, especially those closest to you, your family. If it is possible, as far as it depends on you. Now, 
you may begin to practice this and the other person may not have decided to. And you may not get that response back that you were hoping for. But I encourage you to keep, keep following this pattern. Keep doing this. Trust the other person to God. But on the other hand, if both of you will commit to it, it'll make a huge difference in your life. What has God spoken to you today? As you've been listening to this, what has the Holy Spirit spoken in your heart? Maybe a conversation you need to have. Uh, some prayer time and some meditation to stop and look at some of these principles and scriptures and rethink how you've been doing this. Maybe a husband and a wife just to kind of pray together and make a commitment. Whatever the Spirit has spoken to you today, I encourage you, don't walk out of here and let it go. When you walk out of here, allow the Spirit to continue to work that you can begin to resolve conflict in a Christ-like way that does amazing things for our relationships and for our families.